Hello and what's this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio and Rob Parkson. And we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetenham. James, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond. As I say, James, it's always a pleasure to have you on talking about the boxing and the UFC because our listeners really appreciate the detail you go into. So what have we got this week, James? I most certainly am, Rob. We are recording this on the official end of the season. It's been an incredible day, full of action, relegations, promotions, playoffs. Everything's been going on. We've got some great interviews in the world of combat sports and rugby, so I think it's going to be a terrific show today. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Joined also by Paul Whiteside from The Devil in Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sport and so and beyond. Yeah, I'm not going to try and trump that... Um... So a preview from James there, he made the show sound absolutely awesome, so I don't think I can do any better than that. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it, mate. There's been so much going on, particularly in the boxing and the rugby league. There's been absolute carnival of action this weekend, so I'm looking forward to chatting to you two guys about it. Yeah, so we'll start with the rugby league, Paul and Salford Devils. They were victorious against Hull uh, on Sunday. Talk us through it. Thriller. I thought it was an absolute thriller, Rob. Um, you know, Hull have been much improved the last few weeks, won four on the bounce after a terrible start to the season and came to Salford with the renewed optimism and, you know, an end-to-end game really of um, you score, we score sort of thing and it was a cracker, real cracking match and I think Salford let Hull off the hook at times and, you know, tried to play that maverick style that we play and it kept them in the game but, you know, a real, real good game, some excellent tries and, um, you know, delighted to get another another valuable two points that keeps us, you know, towards the top of the table. Yeah. Important win for Paul Rowley's men, obviously, on the march for a playoff spot, Paul. And beating teams like Hull is a really good sign for this because, in my eyes, Hull are a playoff team. And obviously, to beat them at this time of the season, especially after we beat them heavily uh, away from home, shows how good a side we are. Paul Rowley will be chuffed to bits with this performance. Yeah, we're starting to show some consistency now, Rob, and there's a little gap developing. You know, you've got Huddersfield and Hull and Castleford as, as well, who are sort of, you know, quite quite big spenders, really, and they've spent a bit of cash, and, and they're quite, you know, a distance behind us in the table now. So I think Lee Leopards are doing tremendously well, and Salford, we're the two sort of surprise packages of the season, if you like, so it's good to see. And, um, and the league's wide open at the moment. If you look at some of the scores, it's really, really exciting. I know you said we're on course for a playoff spot. There's an awful lot of work to be done. You know, there's a lot of games left to be played, a lot of rugby leagues to be played. We've got some tough games coming up, particularly at home. We've got to play the likes of St. Helens, Wigan, Warrington. I think we've got Catalans again, or we've got Catalans away. So, yeah, we've got to play all the top sides. So it's going to be really tough for us, but it's exciting. And we're playing a real good brand of rugby league, scoring some good tries. And entertaining as well. I thought the game, as I said before, was a thriller uh, on Sunday. You know, some real top tries, top finishing and, um, yeah, good, a, a good performance and well managed by Saul, particularly Mark Sneed towards the end of the game. I thought guided us to victory, really, with the with that drop goal and the try he scored and his overall contribution. Yeah, Paul, you spoke to Paul Rowley, Ben Hellowell and Adam Sidlow after the game is what they had to say. I'd like to say I've been joined by Ben Hillow first time this season. Ben, you seem to have settled into the team now. Enjoyed it today? Yeah, enjoyed it a lot. Um, so, made it hard for yourself sometimes, like the up and down game, but um, good to get, get the win and um, lads dug deep. Uh, but that's it. We, we, we let uh, some tries in, but we did dig deep for each other. So. I know you had an eight point lead a couple of times in the game, and obviously, I think the way you like to play the game, you like to move the ball and, and obviously let hold back into it. But that, I don't think you want to change that, that style of play that you use, do you? No, we don't. Um, that's our identity. Um, Hull defended it well, so 
think it, that's that's what we try and play around teams. But um, today, I think it, I think uh, the best game plan was to try and go through them, and um, we we solved that in the middle of the game, and um, it, we solved it. it, it got a bit of joy from it so and they're an improving side as well put 60 points on the way from home you knew they were going to be better today didn't you yeah. you had to be switched on for their yeah. game plan yeah yeah um, we weren't expecting the same result as uh, last time because the Hull are a good team they're on, they're on form I think um, they won uh, three or four on the bounce so I knew we knew they were going to turn up and we knew it was going to be a tough battle it's exciting time to be a solver player you've got some big games coming up magic weekend next week and then a cup quarter final yeah. how are you feeling being at Salford now you, you, you're loving your time here yeah loving the time here um, I came from part time last last year and I was working and then I was I was going to training so um, and the lads the lads have made me feel welcome. Um, if you had to give your job up then to, to play for yeah, yeah what did job. you do for your job? Oh, electrician. So, right. Uh, yeah. I've been full time previously but um, yeah I got the opportunity and um, fam- uh, I've got a growing family so I want to be at home more often and um, like I say I enjoyed my two weeks that I were here last year so they they give me the opportunity. Um, there's a nickname there for you as well, isn't it? The Sparky. I suppose <laughs> be electrician. That's somebody yeah. you could go back to, but hopefully yeah. not for a few years yet. Yeah. Then some of the lads have got uh, me to do some jobs at the house, so it's a bit on the side, isn't it? To, to exactly. get into. Exactly. But yeah, thanks very much for joining us today, mate. Have the, all the all the best and have a good game next week in Newcastle. Thanks, thanks a lot, buddy. Paul always joins me. Delighted to say um, another another solid win, Paul. You know, yeah, um, yeah. I guess an ever improving whole FC side. What did you make of it? Um, yeah, it was a it was a solid win. Yeah, it's probably a good uh, good example, uh, good reference. And I think it was a good win. I thought it was a good game. To be honest, I thought both sides scored some really well worked, highly skilled tries. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a good it was a good game. If I'm being honest, so uh, you know, it, I think Hull probably could have snatched it as well. It was is what is what sports all about. Unpredictability. You know, you don't know the outcome to the death. Uh, I thought we had a a guy in Sneedy there who had some game sense and probably just uh, was the difference in the end between the two just a bit of a cool head wasn't he his goal kicking very reliable so uh, it was a good game against a very good side very strong side uh, like I said resurgent whole side so uh, yeah we, we, we enjoyed it you've won five from six now Bond looking good mm. you look at the table and results this weekend the Super League I mean it seems wide open it must be a really exciting time to be a coach and when you're winning matches like you know tight games like that, it just keeps you up there amongst the the top sides yeah and and, and like i said we, we've beat we've done the double on all now so a big club uh, very well spent but look at the team on paper there so to 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 do that is is a significant achievement uh, and and if you look at our boys we're not exactly doing backflips across the pitch like we've just won the challenge cup so uh, we're pretty cool about it. We, we understand where we're at, and, and we have a lot of belief in the camp. So um, that's a, I felt that was actually a huge win in in, con, in the context of everything. Uh, but you know, the, like I said before, the lads have kept a real cool head. I thought there was really good cool head in the game, but cool head overall as well. We, you know, we, we don't. I've said to you before, we don't get too high, don't get too low, um, and we expect we have our expectations within our, our group. So uh, it was nice to be able to put out. A really what I felt was a really strong 17 on paper uh, when we come through unscathed obviously apart from Andy Akers who's um, got a knock to the head there did so he it, fail that yeah, yeah he failed straight away because right. if you if you there's certain 
there's certain cues to medical staff he didn't even you don't even need to do an head test when right. there's certain cues there so he's, he's gone straight away so that's two in succession so he's he's, he's probably he's, he's a specialist re- return now so uh, that'll be a longer period of time so probably three four weeks something like that you talk about some of the big guns coming back two players that probably not played a lot of this season i was really impressed with them today adam sidlow and i thought ben elliwell mm. when he came off the bench i thought he was excellent he's really sharp as well so those two lads have, have stood up and uh, in shone for you yeah i'm really pleased uh, i'll start with ben i thought yeah ben is what he is right and i'll never forget his contribution at toulouse away in, in, in unbelievable heat and he played massive minutes in the middle at a new club coming out of championship so he's, he's got a heart uh, as ben uh, and, and probably typifies our club uh, typifies our team and, and, and typifies our fans uh, there's a lot of art and, and Ben and Ben is that, that guy so uh, we're really pleased for him that he, he got some good touches and, and made a significant difference I thought today Ben, ben Elliwell did so delight for him and then Adam Sidlow well we, we know about his ability we know that again he's another player with game sense with in a game in Super League at the minute where there's probably a lack of uh, middles certainly English middles uh, the experienced ones are, are really leading the way and I've seen it at other clubs and, and like I said the more Adam Sidlow's on the pitch for us uh, hopefully he has a good run now um, you can see he's di- you know he makes a significant difference and if you look back to the Wakefield game we, we, we scraped through that game but I thought he played a, a massive role in that as well so game sense um, and rugby players they're a bit of a rare commodity now because uh, you know we, we breed these uh, these manufactured players, not the ones that, not the ones that uh, grow up playing on the street, you know. And, 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 and Ziggy's clearly one of them that grew up playing on the street, and he knows where it's going to bounce. He knows how to slow it down, speed it up, avoid challenges, all that sort of stuff. Um, the stuff that really you, you don't coach, it's, uh, it's it's in him uh, because that's what he grew up doing. I think with Ben as well as usual player to have. He was just telling me he was an electrician as well. Uh, so if you had him doing any foreigners around your house and that. Yeah. <laughs> no, not yet. But uh, I might do actually. So, uh, but you know, Ben, it's, it's just like Ben as well. He started off. Uh, I think he was a standoff or a centre. You know, back in the day, he's early in his career, and I do like with my players, especially my forwards, who's transition. Same with Cal. Cal's gone from centre to back row because uh, what it provides you with is middles that have got leg speed, game yeah. sense, skill. Uh, and, and you know how I like to play I like, I like, I like to sign rugby players uh, not so much uh, the robots I like rugby players exciting few weeks Paul you've got a magic weekend at Newcastle and a cup quarter final against Old Kingston Rovers mm. as well you must be loving it uh, yeah exciting for you I don't get too excited <laughs> my missus tells me off for that so I just I just, I just try and keep uh, level head all the time so uh, might call it miserable, I think, but uh, that's what it—that's what it is. That's what it is. That works for me, so I just keep a level head there. But uh, it's a tough three weeks and all that, so it just means we have to, uh, you know, come in tomorrow first and foremost. No day off. Uh, let's just get straight back, assess, and and, uh, and and prepare for the next one. That's sport, isn't it? And uh, you know, you you, you smile and you and, and you're great for uh, an hour or so, and enjoy that moment, and then uh, you move on to the next and. Uh, and luckily I've got a good group of players and, and staff that have their feet firmly on the ground and uh, and just have a good work ethic and just want to keep getting better and better and they believe they can. Keep up the great work, Paul. Thanks, Thanks very much for taking time to speak to us, mate. Always. Cheers. Thanks. Right, I'd like to say Adam Sidlow joins me. I don't think I spoke to you for a while since the last no, time no. you were so it's been a long time, but back in the side today, how are you feeling now? Was you out for a while? You were out for a while with injury, but yeah, what were you out with? 
I was out with my calf, um, did it bad for me, it's in the ponyrosis, so it's not the actual body of the muscle, so it's like um, the tendon, so it took a bit longer. Um, I got on top of it, I've got some new athletics, um, Sarah, the physio here has really, really helped me and I uh, feel really good at the minute. Tough game out there today, wasn't it? A big, big win for Salford, though, wasn't it? You're keeping up there in the table. That's another big two point. Yeah, we, we keep doing it hard here at home. I don't know what it is at home. We can't just uh, blow anyone away, but uh, we played play them away, and I think, I think they thought the orders won. So they come, they come all guns blazing, and uh, I think I think we took it to them, and it was a bit of a war of attrition, like uh, Rose likes to say. So yeah, it's good to get a tough, a tough win. But uh, on to the next one, OK. Exciting time to be a solver player. You've got the Magic Weekend next week, which is always a good event. Then you've got the Hulk Air and the, the Cup quarterfinals as well. It's been a long time since Salford won some silverware, but you certainly are. In the mix this season, it seems wide open, the Super League. Yeah, I think we've been doing it tough as well. Um, we seem to be we seem to be like one person every week getting injured. And um, I think, again, Andy Akers has got knocked out this week, so he, I don't think he'll be playing next week, which is tough for us. But uh, we've got Amir Burra, uh, who's, who's, who's burning to go, so... Yeah, looking forward to it. And it's a good time to be a Salford player, like I say. Sure, yes. Thank you very much for speaking to us, Adam, and uh, all the best next week in Newcastle. No so that was Paul Rowley, Ben Helliwell, and Adam Sidlow talking after the game, Paul. And obviously, all very happy with the re- result. Yeah, yeah, and I think they're all very excited as well, Rob. We've got a real, really exciting couple of weeks coming up. We've got the Magic Weekend next week. All right, it's not a cup final, but it's rugby league on the big stage where, you know, all the sport will be watching, you know, at Newcastle United's ground, big crowd, sunny day. That's going to be great. Then the week after, we've got Casford away. Week after that, we've got a Challenge Cup quarterfinal against Hull KR. So, possibilities of, of getting, you know, into a semi final. So, it's getting, you know, it's a really exciting time to be a supporter, particularly with all the stuff that's going off the field with the shares and things like that. You know, the, the club's buzzing at the moment. I know we had a bit of, you know, um, a story with the Tyler Dupree uh, situation. We don't know how that one's going to go. But on the whole, it's an exciting time. Yeah, we'll move on to the Tyler Dupree um, situation. His agent handed in a transfer request last week. The club uh, rejected the proposal. There was an offer from another Super League club, but he is contracted till 2025. So it is a bit of a blow that obviously he wants to leave, uh, but we'll be interested to see what happens next. Yeah, I know. I think Paul Rollo was asked about this. I didn't actually hear this conversation, but... From all accounts, from the quote I read, he, he sort of said, you know, if it's football, on football terms, he won't be going anywhere, you know, if Paul Rowley's got anything to do with it, because he wants him to stay, obviously, but, you know, if it goes to, you know, the managing director or whatever, then that, that's out of his hands, sort of thing, but he sort of said with a glint in his eye, I believe, that wouldn't it be great if he stayed, and I think that's, the, you know, the the sort of attitude that Paul Rowley's got, you know, this sort of, he really believes in Salford, doesn't he? And, um, you know, he's become one of us, you know, one of the supporters really as well, you know, really the fabric of the club. So I think it'd be great if we could hang on to him. I think it'd be a massive statement to send out to other clubs, but uh, we'll have to watch this space on that one. I was obviously, there's a lot of parties involved, you know, Tyler, his agent, you know, two clubs, his family, you know, we'll have to see which, which way it goes. Yeah, historically, Salford have had to sell their better players to keep the club going. Paul King has talked about how the supporters' uh, share scheme is going to be the future of the club and, and how the, style, the possible departure of Tyler Dupree doesn't affect uh, that side of it. The, the, money is, is, the money from the playing side is totally different to the money from the, the, the club side. So it isn't like Salford have to sell to balance the books. No, no, well, you get your Sky money, don't you, which is really ultimately, you know, pays the players, you've got your attendance as well, but at the end of the day, I can see from Dupree's situation and sort of Paul Rowley's situation, if if Tyler Dupree doesn't want to stay at the club, 
and he's put a transfer request in. What's the point in keeping somebody who doesn't want to be there? It's like if you're at your job, you don't want to be there, you're not happy. You know, there's, there's no point, is there? So if he does want to go, then, then so be it. But, you know, if we can keep hold of him, you know, I don't think we, we're forced to sell him. He's under contract for the next three years. So if if we can keep hold of him, great. But there's no point in keeping somebody against the will, if you like. So, uh, so yeah, it just depends. But like I said before, it's an exciting time. You know, we've got a cup quarter final coming up. You know, we've got a chance of getting to Wembley. We've got a chance of getting the playoffs. So he's got a chance of winning a trophy at Salford. So uh, why wouldn't you want to stay? Yeah, that's the difference. The transitioning from a lower division, lower table club to a, to a club that competes every week in competitions, don't they, Paul? So it will be interesting to see whether Tyler Dupree and his agent decide whether to stay at Salford or, or go to a bigger club. Obviously, there is rumours for Hulkiar, there is rumours for Wigan, so there may be a bidding war which occurs. Yeah, over the last sort of, I don't know, three, four, five years, you've probably played some of the best rugby that we've played in the last... 40 years really haven't we you know we've been up there challenging into a grand final got within a whisker of a grand final last season and got to challenge cup final as well so I mean these are unheard of times really for supporters like us who've watched them through the 80s and the 90s and, and, and particularly the early 2000s so you know it's a special time and you know let's let's hope we can kick on and players like Tyler they're good players aren't they you want to keep hold of them but if we're forced to sell him it's not the end of the world and uh, I'm sure the club will be fine and, and, and move forward but we'll have to see see what happens yeah, talking about the future of the club, Paul, the supporters' share scheme is going very well with over £220,000 raised and 845 investors uh, involved. It's, it's great, obviously, Paul King had a massive meeting last week uh, with the fans to explain the situation, what was going on. Um, it's great, obviously, he's, he's, he's able to engage with the fans in this way and tell them what's happening. Yeah, it is. And I just wish, you know, perhaps some more businesses would get involved in some some bigger punches. I mean, it's difficult for, for your average Joe Blog supporter when they bought a season ticket and things like that, you know, to, to finance it. It's hard times, isn't it? So it'd be nice if uh, some people with a bit more money would get involved and, you know, people who's, who probably the money isn't as, as valuable to. But it's been great to see the... Um, you know, what has been invested so far in such a short space of time as well. So uh, it's been a tremendous effort and I'm sure it's something that's going to keep growing and growing. Mm. Ultimately, we want to be a community club. Paul King talks about investors wanting to come in, like you said, trying to take the club over themselves, but not not being able to, not wanting to when they realise that the stadium isn't part of the club, uh, which is a problem. But Paul King has this idea about the community club feel and, and how it's going to grow. And I suppose this way is, is an ideal way for the people of Salford to get involved in, in such a big scale as a big group of people. Yeah, and I think, you know, for investors and that, I mean, there's not many sporting clubs where you're going to invest money into them and see a return, are you? Most, most sporting clubs and investors and, and people who back sporting clubs, they do it for the love of it um, and because they want to be a custodian of a club and, and see the club do well. You don't really do it. It's not like stocks and shares where you're going to buy something and make a load of money from it. I think there might be one or two clubs like that, perhaps in Premier League football, but as regards rugby league, you're not going to really see a return from it. You're doing it because you love it and you want that team to do well. So, so yeah, let's hope people keep getting involved and... Um, it's been a very, very positive start so far, though, Rob. The last month or so has been great. Yeah, let's move on to Swinton Lions. They were in action at the Summer Bash uh, this weekend. They went down to defeat against Widnes, 32 points to six. Um, obviously, Widnes are a good side um, and we're, you know, we're, we're the better team of the day. Yeah, yeah, it's been a tough uh, tough couple of weeks for Swindon, hasn't it? You know, that, that defeat at Bradford and Witness are a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde side, really. On the day, they can be really, really good. They've had some good results this season and then, you know, their, their inconsistencies let them down. But, you know, that was a good win for them. Disappointing for Swindon, who were, 
you know, backs against the wall really now need need some good results because uh, some of the sides around them have, have picked wins up. So um, it's going to be tough, you know, tough back end to the season. Yeah, got Keithley away uh, next week. So good luck to Lions, good luck to the Reds. And uh, let's hope that both teams can pick up a victory uh, next week. We've got a big interview uh, now. James, tell us who it is. We most certainly have, Rob. He was in the WWE. He competed in the Royal Rumble. He has wrestled all over the world. And now he has turned over to the world of mixed martial arts. He is fighting on Hexagon MMA next weekend in a bullfighting arena in France. It's going to be a pretty special debut in the promotion for him. So without further ado, please welcome Mr. Jack Claffey. So I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Jack Claffey, former WWE superstar, current MMA fighter. It's fantastic to have you on board. You've got a massive fight coming up, Hexagon MMA 8, live in France. But before we get on to that, I want to go back a little bit. I want to go right to the start, before you even laced up the gloves. Your earliest memories of watching wrestling, watching MMA. I want to know why you gravitated to combat sports and which athletes, whether it be in wrestling, whether it be in the UFC, really inspired you. Um, I always say that like martial arts began with like two things, which was Bruce Lee and Dragon Ball Z, um, which was like the main things, honestly, that kind of influenced me. So I did Taekwondo as a kid, um, very, very young. I did that for probably about five or six years. And I ended up stopping doing Taekwondo right before I got my black belt as well, which kind of is always one of those things of like, oh, I should go back and just, just do it again to get my black belt. I stopped it um, to begin professional wrestling training. Um, my earliest memory of professional wrestling was the there's a, an episode of Roar is War where Mankind wins the WWF title for the first time. And it was actually my sister, I have an older sister, and all of her friends uh, were insisting that we had to watch this show because we'd just gotten Sky. And they were like, oh, you've got to watch this thing, WWF. I remember I watched it, and they were sat with us, and they were explaining all the characters to him. This is who this guy is, and this guy is this guy. And this guy's called Sexual Chocolate, and this guy's called Gold <laughs> And uh, eventually we had the Mankind, had the main event against The Rock. And then I always remember the the glass breaks and the Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out and I have no idea who Stone Cold Steve Austin is, but everyone's cheering. He, he I think he, no, he hits the, hits him with the steel chair. He doesn't even hit the stunner. Hits him with a steel chair. One, two, three. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. So I became really hooked on wrestling around that time. Um, the thing that really got me into combat sports was um, Kazushi Sakuraba, who was a professional wrestler in Japan. Uh, who was trained by Billy Robinson and Carl Gotch and a couple others. And he transitioned into MMA around the era of Pride. So for me, it was like, oh, wow, there was a pro wrestler who moved into MMA. And for a long time, I was a bit more obsessed with like the Japanese scene than I was the UFC. I was almost reticent to like uh, American MMA. I was very much like Pride never die kind of guy. Um, so yeah, originally Bruce Lee, Dragon Ball Z, then Mankind, then Kazushi Sakuraba, and then couple more years and now we're here. It's mental, isn't it, really, when you talk about Mankind there. Him being a fighter who was so iconic for his Royal Rumble where he came in on three separate occasions, which I think entertained everyone. And you also made a reference there to Mark Henry, didn't you? So that's pretty mental yes. to think that, you know, one day you were sat there with your sister watching these amazing wrestlers compete in this fantastic thing. And then however many years on, you're in that Royal Rumble, in that event that Mick Foley was so iconic for competing in, and you're going against Mark Henry. And I think he ultimately eliminated you from that event. So it must be pretty crazy for you. 
Yeah, it was. Um, it's one of those things where you don't really think about it at the time, but afterwards you go, "Oh yeah, that was quite surreal that I did those things." Like the Mick Foley thing in particular was. Um, I got introduced to WWE as a, a character through the Cruiserweight Classic, and it was after my first Cruiserweight Classic match had aired that the Mick Foley's Twitter actually tweeted out like, "I want you for Raw." And it felt like this really strange full circle moment where, you know, Mick Foley was being the general manager for Raw at the time. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really weird. Like my introduction to wrestling was this guy. And now this guy is kind of doing that. Okay, we want you on board. We want you in WWE. So yeah, very, very surreal. But you try not to, you try not to uh, take over you at the time. Absolutely. And I know for you, this wasn't something that happened overnight. There was years of grass that went into this on the independent wrestling circuit. You were Jack Toxic, I think, at the time. And to my understanding, you actually moved over to the US, didn't you, to uh, further your training? So, actually, um, I had never wrestled in the US until WWE. I okay, had, uh, right. I'd, yeah, so I'd, I'd flow over to Utah at one point right. uh, to train with Billy Robinson, who was, a, who was a British wrestler and he was a catch wrestler as well. Uh, so I flew over there and did some training there. Um, I primarily trained around England, but then I'd lived in Japan for about a year as well. So I did a few years on the independence here. I lived in Tokyo for about 10 months, and then I came back to Europe. And it was around the time that I was thinking, okay, I've done a lot in, in wrestling. I haven't, I haven't done America, but I've done quite a bit. Um, and I was thinking maybe I'll, I'll transition to doing MMA. And just as I was getting a few amateur fights together, I'd had my second amateur fight. That was when um, William Regal actually contacted me and said, we have a, a tryout for you for WWE, which ended up with me being signed to WWE. So it was it, once again, as, as I was doing Taekwondo and I quit doing pro wrestling training, I was about to do MMA and then WWE came calling. So instead, I ended up doing pro wrestling instead for a bit longer. It's amazing, isn't it, how the sport's developing, obviously. William Regal from Blackpool, we had Wade Barrett from Preston, yourself from, from the Manchester region, especially in the north of this country. It does seem to be like we seem to have this amazing talent pool coming through. Yeah, I think it's uh, there's a level of like historical influence, isn't there? There's uh, the Snake Pit Gym around Wigan. A lot of the really influential uh, British wrestlers as well, very like northern, you know, around the Blackpool area, like you said. And even people, um, I think George, was it George Kidd? I think George Kidd was a Scottish wrestler who, he goes very underappreciated in modern day, but I believe a lot of like Johnny Sane and that escapology style uh, that I used quite a bit um, was influenced off of him. So yeah, it's uh, not sure what the cold is, uh, is influential about wrestling, but apparently it is. Most certainly. And after you ended up leaving the WWE, was there an overwhelming feeling of granted you know, this was an amazing experience, but else is done, I can focus on something that was such a big part of my youth and go down the mixed martial arts route. Yeah, so there was a, there was a brief period of time whilst in WWE that uh, Bellator MMA had actually reached out and we were trying to work out a deal where I could be on 205 Live and then occasionally fight uh, for Bellator. Uh, and the, it, it was almost about to work out, we were about to announce it we were about to like have our first fight planned and then uh the office came back and said hey we're, we're kind of doing something with the ufc right now um and we can't have you work with our competitor i was like okay fair enough and then a few months later came velasquez got released from his ufc contract and was signed to wwe and i was like ah 
that's <laughs> why that happened. Um, so yeah, it was you know finishing with WWE. I I, I always thought going into WWE, no matter what, this was going to be whatever it was was going to be it with wrestling. I figured WWE was kind of the pinnacle, and I'd never expected to ever get a contract with them either. So I thought rather than do that and then go back on the circuit and do the same things again, it was better to just, you know, see what else was out there for me. And at the time, actually, I wasn't sure. And it was um, BKFC were the first people to reach out and say, hey, do you want to restart your combat career? And, you know, fighting bare knuckles wasn't the first thing I thought I'd be doing, but uh, it was enjoyable. I can imagine because it's such an incredible sport. I mean, it, it's really mental. We're seeing these amazing contests on there. We had Paulie Malinagi, Artem Lovov, which I think caught the imagination. We just had Luke Rockhold, Mike Perry the other night, and that caught headlines, obviously, because of the injury that Rockhold sustained. But you fought Rick Caruso, I believe, mm -hmm. that night. You got a big victory there. And what was it like competing in that sport? Oh, it was, it was very, very bizarre. Um, like I said, you know, it, it wasn't the combat sport I thought I'd be competing in. I, I assumed if I was ever going to do it again, uh, I was probably going to focus more on grappling or move back into MMA. So to have like a, a, a boxing focused sort of camp was very interesting. And uh, I had a, you know, I had a different opponent leading into that fight and he pulled out literally, I was in Florida. So I had flown from Manchester to Florida um and I, we were a day or two from making weight and he just said i'm not turning up you have to get a new opponent and i ended up with someone who was taller who had a longer reach who stood in a completely different stance so i think i at the time i told myself that's no big deal he's a right-handed person instead of a left-handed person this is fine and i think uh i didn't take into account how relieved i was after the fight happened like I'm screaming, beating my chest. I was, I, looking back at it, I'm like, what are you doing, you silly bugger? But like at the time, just beating my chest, screaming like, yeah, I did it. Yeah, I think it was um, a sigh of relief and like, a, wow, I actually did that. Like, that's cool. Like, I can't believe I did that. Wow, wicked. <laughs> and now you move on to MMA. You had your first professional bout at FCC against Marlon Jones. And you, throughout your career, somebody who's been incredibly successful, whether that be in BKFC, whether that be in the WWE and in your amateur career as well, you sustained a loss that night. So mentally, how have you gone about recovering from that? Um, I think I had to look at what I'd done in the camp. It isn't necessarily what happens in the fight. It's like what you do in the prep to the fight. I talked to my coaches and, I, you know, we had a very honest conversation about the lead up to it. And we had a look at, I think I was being very stubborn about wanting to fight in a particular weight class. It was the first time I'd gone to bantamweight which is uh, like 135 pounds. Like I'd, I hadn't been that small since probably high school because I was quite a chubby kid in high school. So I really hadn't been that small for quite a while. Um, and I just think it was, there was a lot of issues and it's one of these things where I don't want to come out and say, I did this wrong. And if I, I know I'll, I'll do that better next time. Cause I feel like I have to have this redemptive moment with hexagon to show that, okay, I, I know the things I've done wrong. I know I can improve. And there's a, uh, not to be too pretentious about this, but there's, there's a, a poem, uh, I think it's If, where, you know, he says, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters as the same. And that's, that's really true. Like, I, my life didn't fundamentally change when I won in BKFC and my life didn't fundamentally change when I lost in FCC. I, I went back to the gym the next week and I just knew things I had to improve on.
Yeah, that's a good thing to live by. I remember Ben Askren, I think, in the lead-up to the Jake Paul fight, he was discussing how he'd overcome losses to Jorge Masvidal and how he'd overcome you know, losing in the Olympics. And he said, don't ta- attach your ego to the outcome. And that's what he tells all his students. So there are lessons like that can, that can be so valuable for people to overcome losses and learn from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's it as well of... You know, if when your ego starts getting involved in something, you are you're kind of fighting against yourself, and you don't need to be fighting against yourself because there's another human being fighting you most of the time. So you should probably be dealing with them instead of yourself. And uh, that's kind of the thing I like about competition now. It's like the thing I really enjoy about martial arts is the the kind of self actualization part of it. You know, the testing yourself, finding out where your weaknesses are, like. And then seeing how you can evaluate that and put it in your real life and then, you know, try to be a better person. You know, there's a lot of people who are like champions in different sports who we can all agree are kind of assholes. But, you know, there's a lot of people who are really good people because they manage to use sports to improve themselves. And you've got this matchup coming up on Hexagon MMA. Could you tell me how the deal came about and how you feel about going into what is a pretty iconic arena out there in France? It's outdoor. The Arena de Bezies. It's I think I think it was used for bullfighting at one point. So it's a pretty iconic location. I did not u- know it was used for bullfighting. That actually makes me very very excited. <laughs> if I'm being honest, um, yeah, I, I, it came about simply because they they reached out. They asked if I'd be interested in doing it. Like it's I'd, I'd love to say we met upon a, a hill during a stormy night and lightning was striking and there was a, a mystical thing that was but it was simply just a do you want to reach out and compete and i said yes and we talked about maybe doing a multiple fights and we'll figure it out but for me i i know i have an obstacle to overcome in the sense that i am in a professional league now where everyone has a lot more experience than me um because of you know my amateur career as it were getting cut short with professional wrestling I didn't get all the reps in that I necessarily needed. You know, I'm fighting people who might have fought 10 to 15 times on the amateurs. And the fellow I'm fighting has had nearly 30 professional kickboxing fights as well as three MMA fights. So, you know, you're looking at someone who potentially has 10 times experience that I do. And that's the thing I have to overcome. I have to try and find a way of using inexperience and using the things I'm good at to try and overcome that. And that's kind of the challenge for me now. Yeah, it's going to be obviously very difficult with him having such a partisan crowd behind him. But obviously in WWE, you went under the name, The Gentleman. So this is something you used to going into enemy territory. Oh, yeah. And here's the thing. They're going to lock the cage. And the only other person that's, you know, going to affect the outcome is him. Like, you can cheer me. You can boo me. Just don't throw things in the cage. And everything else is up to me. Like, I, I'm not too bothered about, bothered about booze and cheers at this point. It is literally water off a duck's back, as Jinx Monsoon would say. <laughs> and I know that Hexagon are planning shows all over the world in the coming years. I spoke to the matchmaker not so long ago. He mentioned Canada and there was other locations discussed. But they're aiming at doing a show in the UK, possibly in the second half of the year. And off the back of a big win, would that be something that you'd be interested in? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know... Not having to travel would be nice, but being able to bring my team fully and potentially even having a couple other of the people I train with fighting on the card with me would be great. You know, any anything to help sort of boost my team would be really, really good. Well, Jack, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It was fantastic to hear all about your wrestling stories, all about the transition to MMA. But before I let you go, 
Is there anything that you would like to add that I perhaps haven't asked you about? Anybody that you'd like to shout out? Um, I'd like to just shout out, uh, obviously, the people I train with here in Fighting Fit Manchester. I'd like to shout out the people in Florida who uh, I trained with and have constantly given me help from the jungle MMA. Um, and honestly, fo follow me on social media, buy tickets to the fights, boo me, cheer me, have a good time. And that's really it. Yeah, fascinating interview there, Rob. It was great to hear from him and we wished him all the luck in the world ahead of his massive outing next weekend. But now it's time to discuss everything in the world of boxing. And there's so much going on. There was three massive fights on UK soil this week. We had Chris Billum-Smith versus Lawrence Acoli, Lee Wood versus Maurizio Lara and Michael Conlon challenging for a world title too. And unfortunately, I predicted all three of these incorrectly. I've had a pretty shocking week on the prediction front. But, Paul, let's bring you in now. Let's talk about these facts. Let's kick it off with the first one. At the Vitality Stadium, Bournemouth, we had Lawrence Sicoli, somebody who, while incorporating a pretty ridiculous style, a lot of holding, has been borderline impossible to beat. That was thrown out over the weekend. Chris Billensmith producing an incredible performance. Three knockdowns, two points off as well. We'll get to that in more detail. But, what a performance from a massive underdog winning a world title in front of his home fans. Yeah, I think massive credit to, to Chris Bill and Smith. He's a very likeable character, isn't he? And a very, very good boxer as well. And I think, you know, listening to his, his trainer, Shane McGuigan, I don't think he's been very well this week. I think he got a bit of a stomach bug off his off his child. So he, he probably wasn't 100% for that fight. So I think you've got to give him all the credit in the world for his doggedness and, and the way he dealt with Akola. Because like you said, Akola is very, very, very difficult to fight. He, he likes to get in your face. He likes to hold. He likes to put his head in. You name it. He'll, but I thought... Chris Bill and Smith boxed him, boxed him right, you know, got the angles right where he could. He caught him numerous times with that lovely left hand. And um, there was a lot of power in that as well. And, you know, you can see by the amount of times that Akola went on the canvas. So I thought it was a real punch-perfect performance from, from Chris Bill and Smith. And this propels him now into to some super fights. I know uh, Shane McGuigan mentioned one with Canelo. It could be around the corner, but that would be something. But obviously you've got the, the rematch as well that we talked about. But it was a very, very enjoyable fight to watch. And he did so well in front of his home fans. Yeah, pretty incredible, Paul. Akoli, again, as we've talked about, has looked incredible throughout his career. Not always for the right reasons, but what went wrong for him on the night? Has his own style played against him, or was Chris Billen Smith that good? And was the help of Shane McGuigan, who obviously knows Akoli's style and knew the weaknesses, was that the difference? Yeah, well, uh, Shane McGuigan spent a lot of time with Akoli. He hasn't before trained him. He'll have seen him inspiring. He knows how he fights. He knows the game plan. And I think he had a game plan for, for, for Chris Billen Smith. Don't forget, Chris Billen Smith's got a good reach. He's about six foot five himself. He's, he's the ideal sort of size, uh, you know, to take Akoli on. And, and I thought, but at times he bullied him in that fight. You know, when he did try and hold and grab, he, he shoved him away. He made that room for himself, made that room for his jab. And, and that left hand was sweet when it connected. So he he's definitely done his homework, Bill Smith. He's a clever man. He's not stupid. And, you know, he, he knows how to box. And I think, you know, rode on by that crowd, that spurred him on even more. But I thought he boxed really, really well. And I think he can box better than that. I think he can be better. But I think he did enough to win that fight. And I know one of the cards was a bit iffy to say the least, but I think the other two judges got it absolutely spot on and it was a it was a good it was a good good win. Probably the best one of his career. Most certainly, Paul. You mentioned the card there. I've seen some howlers in my time, but to have a fight a draw when there's been three points off sorry, two points off and three knockdowns, that is incredible. 
Well, yeah, you've got three rounds at a 10-8, and then you've got two that are knocked down, so uh, two knocked off. So that makes... I was trying to do the maths before, so that judge must have saw a Coley win every single other round. Um, and even then, how did you get it a draw? I, I don't know. It was a very, very strange one, that one. I mean, uh, no, it baffles you, that one. really does. And now moving on to Manchester, to our home ground. Lee Ward taking on Maurizio Lara for the second time. And the last time these two men fought one another, Wood was on his back, looking up at the stars. He would have had a lot of demons going into this rematch. Yeah, he's boxed beautifully in front of the Nottingham fans that travelled down to Manchester. He's got his world title back. There's potential a Josh Warrington fight at Nottingham's home ground. He's really achieved a big deal. But aside from that, looking at Maurizio Lara, failed to make way, didn't look himself. What do we make of the whole thing? I think he was beaten before he went in the ring, uh, James. I think the the whole making weight situation was an absolute farce in the week leading up to the fight. I mean, he left himself far much, far too much to do. Can't cut that much weight in the time, so obviously he wasn't going to be fighting for the title. So to me, that that piles the piles of pressure on him really because well, it doesn't, it doesn't. But I think it took pressure off off Wood because you know he knew it was there for him then and. You know, is is Lara going to take this fight serious now? He's not made the weight, and that psychologically probably lifted Wood even more. And um, he, he boxed brilliantly as well. But it just makes you wonder whether whether Lara was that 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 mithered, you know, um, for want of a better word. But no, I thought um, I thought Wood was tremendous, and that support he had as well. You know, rode him home. He boxed brilliantly, but the the making of the weight that 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 gave him a massive advantage for me. And now looking over to Ireland, a massive fight in Belfast, the arena, as it always is, a spectacular atmosphere. The Belfast fans turned out, but Michael Conlon on the night, he couldn't get it done. Lopez, a bit too aggressive, hit a little bit too hard, and ultimately there was a degree of a class difference. Michael Conlon tried his very best, but he was having to fight at a million miles an hour from word go. Lopez... The last time he fought Josh Warrington, maybe people didn't give him the credit he deserved. Maybe they said that Warrington was over the hill, but I think everybody's taking note of him now. Yeah, and I think rightly so. I don't think Warrington's over the hill whatsoever, and I don't think he was in that fight. I think with Lopez, you've got a very, very special fighter, like you said. I think his aggression and his punch power was just a bit too much for Conlon, and Conlon's a really tough kid. He's a, he's a good fighter, and um, you know we, we knew that was going to be a step in classroom, and, and sometimes that step up... You've just not quite quite got it. I mean, there is levels in boxing. We always talk about that. And I think Lopez is that just that level above. Um, and there's no shame in that. You know, you go there and do your best and you beat you've just got to hold your hands up and say you're beaten by the better fighter. I thought Lopez was tremendous. I thought his speed, his work rate, and that that nastiness in his punches was just a bit too much for Conlon. And there was no disgrace in that. Now let's fly over to the other side of the world. Joseph Parker making his Australian debut, winning the Commonwealth title against Fager Diango with a first-round knockout, his first stoppage win in a very long time. So I'd like to get your opinions on that performance, but also on Tyson Fury, who was there ringside and has supposedly been negotiations for big fights in Australia with Dempsey McKean, Gia Pattaya, and in the space of this one week alone, we're back on the Anthony Joshua hype trying to potentially get that fight on. Is he getting a bit tiresome with Tyson Fury with all these different negotiations going on now? It just seems really complicated, James, doesn't it? I mean, the the fight's there for, for Fury. I mean, the Usyk one, the Joshua one, 
maybe the wilder one again. We've, we've seen that that many times. Um, you know, you just want things to be made now, don't you? Because there's a danger of him running out of time in his career. He's not getting any younger. So, you know, your body's not getting any younger. So you, you think you want to get these fights done and, and dusted as quick as you can to, to you know, sort of maintain your legacy, really. So it does, when you keep getting promised fights and, oh, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, I think it, it sort of turns the, the fans off sometimes, doesn't it? So and it becomes a bit of a bore. So, so yeah, let's let's hope some of these fights gets made before it's too late. So to turn a negative into a positive, Paul, it's as if you were leading me on to this point, but we've been asking for this for years. Terence Crawford, Errol Spence, undeniably the two best welterweights on the planet. People would argue the two best pound-for-pound fighters on the planet. And I know we have the likes of Usyk and Inouye battling for that crown, but these two men really are special. It's finally happening. It's happening in July in Las Vegas. How are you feeling about this one? Great fight. Great fight. You look at the records of the two fighters, um, it's sort of, you know, the tail of the tape, if you like. It's so hard to to split them. They're both... A star fighters, aren't they? And, and 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 great fighters. And you know these fights don't come along that often, do they? Where you cannot split them whatsoever, and and you can't imagine either of them losing. So so you know that that's that's an absolutely tremendous fight that's been made, and uh, one we can't wait to see. And it should be absolutely box office. And it's a pick and fight. Uh, who do you go for? It, you know, you, you, the odds, the betting odds on that are going to be absolutely even. I think because you've just got two special special fighters. And now in the heavyweight division, Alexander Usyk and Daniel Dubois, that fight is seemingly on. The purse bid has been won by the Ukrainian team. They bid a total of $8 million compared to $5.6 million from Frank Warren. So it's looking like this one's going to go to Poland. How do you think Frank will feel about losing the purse bid by such a wide margin? Yeah, disappointed. I think he'd be disappointed with that, to be honest with you. But it's, I don't know if it's the fight I want to do it to take next. But, you know, Dubois is a, a good fighter, isn't he? And he's, he's, he's sort of learned. He's had a, a few iffy fights. But this is a big, big test for him now. And this could be the win of his... Well, it would be the win of his career, wouldn't it? You know, really propel him to, to start and really. So, massive fight. And it's up to him to take the advantage now. But, you know, for Usyk, I think he'd just be too good for, for Dubois, if, I, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, it could well work out like that, Paul. The final boxing question of the day for you. It's been a mixed week for the Smith family. So let's look at the two sides of this. Liam Smith, his rematch against Chris Bubank Nudia is officially now off. It was originally postponed a couple of weeks due to a back injury, but now it seems like it's off completely. Eubank is potentially looking in the direction of a Conor Ben fight. And Callum Smith, his world title fight with Arthur Baturbiev, that will happen August 19th in Canada. So that's a big one for him. Massive fight for Callum Smith. And, and we've talked about Callum Smith, me and you, haven't we, over the, the, the years. And I think we're both big fans of him. And, and this is a big opportunity for him now. You know, he had the, de- had the defeat, didn't he, in his career. And uh, this one now is one for him to get back on track. And I'm sure he'll be relishing this. He'll be training like an absolute beast. And it should be a great fight between two. Two big men at the weight as well. So, yeah, very disappointed with the Liam Smith and, and Eubank situation because that would have been a cracker. It most certainly would, Paul. And I can't wait to talk to you this time next week about everything that's going on in the world of boxing. But now it's time for football. And so much has gone on. But let's talk with Manchester United first. A 2-1 victory over Fulham, originally going a goal down, but Sancho and Fernandez scoring to give us the win. 
ultimately, it probably comes down to David De Gea completely switching the momentum, saving a penalty, and God knows, Rob, that isn't something he does regularly. Yeah, what a result. Obviously, you know, with everything going on in the background as well at Manchester United, it was good that we ended the season uh, with a win, um, especially against Fulham, obviously, you know, a very tough team to beat. I'm sure Ten Hag and the fans will be, you know, happy with the result and going into the, the bigger game next week in Manchester City. It's good that we got a result and got the win. I completely agree, Rob. Looking at the other side of Manchester, City obviously losing, of course. There was a couple of names that didn't feature in the match, the likes of Haaland and Gundogan, players that are maybe being rested, but not good momentum going into an FA Cup final. No, no, James. It's obviously you need to keep winning games, especially Man City going for the treble uh, to get beat against Brentford. One way looking at it, yeah, it is the final game of the season. The championship is already in the bag. But look, like you said, you need to keep momentum going. So it will be interesting to see what Pep does with his team next week in the FA Cup. Obviously, that's the one that we all want. That's the one the fans really want. So he'll want his players to be primed and ready for the big occasion. And that big occasion in question, Rob, how are you feeling about it now? Who wins? Are you confident? Well, you've got to be confident going into the FA Cup final. Everything is hinging on this result. Both teams going for domestic doubles. Um, it's you know what an occasion for the Manchester down in London. Obviously, lots of fans travelling down there. The colours, the, the sights, and the sounds. Uh, every Manchester derby is is an occasion. So this particular one in an FA Cup final, it's going to be momentous. I'm sure. People at home will be tuning in, people abroad, people all over the world will be tuning in for this spectacular event. Uh, and I'm confident, that obviously, Ten Hag will get a result. Um, we've had some uh, real pastings off City in the recent past, but it's a big game and Man United players usually rise to the big occasion, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. It will, and a team that unfortunately weren't able to get it over the line at Wembley is Stockport. 1-1 mm. draw against Carlisle, ultimately losing 5 poor on penalties, and they're going to be bitterly disappointed. Yeah, obviously, going for that double promotion, uh, James, but they've got to be proud of what they've achieved. Obviously, beating Salford in the semi-final, the drama there, unable to do it this time around, but I'm sure they'll be looking towards next season and improving again. Um, and I wish them all the best. Obviously, we, we're looking at Salford and the way they performed, and they'll be competing again. Uh, so it could be a very interesting uh, 2024 season with both of our local sides uh, going for the uh, top spot. Most certainly, Rob. And let's look at some of these other teams. Leeds losing 4-1 against Tottenham. They have been relegated back down to the Championship Players were singing, you're not fit to wear the shirt at their lads on the final game of the season. What do you make of that from the fans? Yeah, obviously Leeds United are a massive club in Yorkshire. They are the club, really, let's be fair, in Yorkshire. And for them not to be a Premier League team is is nothing short, short of scandalous. They've had, I think it's three managers this, uh, this season um, and not being able to find a way. Uh, Big Sam uh, is, is there. Uh, will he be able to make a difference uh, this, you know, in the off-season? Will he be able to get him up? That's the big question. Uh, probably not. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. He's, he's, has he had his time, Big Sam? Has football moved on? Uh, but, yeah, I expect Leeds to play a, a certain way, and I'm sure the fans do as well. Uh, will that be the Big Sam way? That's the question. I don't think it will be, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I think he might ride off into the sunset with that 500 grand and just enjoy himself. <laughs> but <laughs> looking over to the other team, Tottenham Hotspur, obviously a big win, 4-1. Came banging twice, 
Will they be the final two goals he ever scores in a Tottenham shirt? It could be. It could be, James, because obviously... You know, he needs to talk about his career. He needs to think where he's going to be most successful. There is people who would want to spend big money on Harry Kane. Um, Because obviously a lot of things going on at Tottenham. Would it be the right time for him to leave? Probably. Uh, It gives the Potticino, it gives the, the team... The coach coming in at Tottenham, you know, the opportunity to spend that money on on the you know four or five players, which might take them to the next level. But I I can't see Harry Kane staying at Tottenham uh, after the summer. And another of their former strikers, Peter Crouch, he claims nobody wants the Tottenham job, and why can't Spurs attract a big name coach? Well, that's the problem, James, because obviously they seem to be in this cycle of underachievement, and people think that they should be able to break into that. You know, top three, top four, uh, Premier League standing, but every season they don't seem to be able to to reach the standard required. Um, like I say, Hurricane scores bags full of goals, but they do leak a few as well. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's frustrating being a Spurs fan, uh, and I'm sure they'll be open. This new whoever comes in, uh, the new coach, is going to be a massive challenge. Yeah, completely agree, Rob. It's going to be very tough for them. And let's look at Arsenal's season. At the beginning, you never would have thought they'd finish second. Ultimately, five points behind Manchester City. They came up today with a big 5-0 win against Wolves. Xhaka bagging twice, one of them a brace, an excellent goal, possibly his last kick in a Gunners shirt. All in all, how's your reflect on the season for Arsenal and will the fans be disappointed? Um, I think they'll be chuffed a bit, Jays. I think initially they'll they'll be disappointed, but when the when the dust settles and they look at what they've achieved, um, they'll think, yeah, we overachieved this season. Will they get investment again in the off season to build on this squad that have achieved this second place finish? That's the big question for me. If they can recruit well and, and bring some players in, strengthen the squad, bring some experience in, they could go again. But we all know what Man City are. They're just a juggernaut that wins games. So they'll need to find a way of closing that five-point gap and passing them. Yeah, Rob, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And now Everton, throughout the season, we thought it was almost definite that they were going to go down. We're talking about how much they were going to struggle in the championship and how big a financial hit it would be to them. But on deadline day, the final day of the season, they have survived. 1-0 win over Bournemouth. The Toffees are still here. Yeah, Everton fans breathing a huge sigh of relief after last season's heroics as well. And I think they were probably thinking, we're not doing this again. We've had our little flirt of relegation, uh, but here they are again 12 months after. Nothing's happened, nothing's changed. They're still in the same position. Huge off-season for for Sean Dyche and his uh, his men there. Everton are mid-table team. They are a sort of a Tottenham Hotspur kind of way. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can get some players together uh, and, and start going up them leagues. But it costs money. They only've got the big stadium coming up and investment hopefully coming into the club. So that might change a few things. But yeah, they will be disappointed that, that they, they, are, they did finish fourth bottom. But the optimism is there to, to rise next season. And while they'll probably be disappointed all in all with how they've finished, today is a jubilant day for them, but it's not quite as happy for Leicester. A few years ago, they won the Premier League. Now they're heading down to the Championship. A 2-1 win over West Ham, ultimately not enough to save them. Yeah, what a, what a turnaround when you think about it, James. Obviously, you know, the, the Leicester City, uh, you know, fairy tale Premier League 
uh, win uh, has obviously gone down on it from from that moment to now where they go down and the fans there will be disappointed. Uh, they've been on a bit of a roller coaster. I'm sure they'll be looking at bouncing back. But the way the Premier League is set up, it's it's one of them where if you don't come back straight away, it becomes more and more difficult. Will Leicester City get back? They've got some good players. It's a matter of holding them players. They need to make sure that they keep them in the squad and bounce back. If they do lose them to other clubs, James, uh, with a minute to go. Um, it could be curtains for him, you never know. It could be. And that would be a shame with how well they've played over the years. But, you know, as they say in romantic films, it's better to have loved. It's something to do with love and never having loved and, and all that nonsense. But yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, it's great that they would have won. Oh, that saying will come to me, Rob. Unfortunately, on live radio, it doesn't always. Hmm. But Leicester. A great side, and I'm supposed they'll be happy that you know they had that moment in the Premier League, even if it was ultimately short-lived. Yeah, better to have loved that. Better to have loved and lost, and never to have loved at all, James. That's the that's the, the one, Rob. That's the one. <laughs> Bit of culture on the on the sports zone, uh, just to tide you over to, to next week. Don't forget the FA Cup final uh, against Man United. Man City It's going to be fantastic, James. Ten seconds to go. How do you feel? I think it's going to be great and it's clear, Rob, that you like the notebook. So thank you for helping me out there. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Obviously, we're going to be looking forward to it. We're going to talk about it on the Sports Zone. Big thanks for tuning this week's Sports Zone. I'm Rob Parkinson and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. 